Hi, everybody. I'm Dustin. I'm Anna. And we are not qualified to investigate the paranormal, but we might be more qualified than George Romero. Hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. But there are many people in these stories that we are less qualified than. Regale us. I will regale you with my tales. <laughs> okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, welcome in. This is the podcast where we talk about a paranormal story, and we talk about the non-paranormal explanations for it. I have my NPR voice on right now. This is Dustin. <laughs> I'm your host. Along with me is my co-host, Anna, Dr. Anna Brewer. Mm-hmm. She's here to tell me how wrong I am about most things. <laughs> no, not not now. I know I say this a lot. I am excited about the story we're going to tell, but my excitement is very reserved because of the nature of the story we're telling. It, I thought it was going to be a very clear-cut thing, and it was going to be like, this is crazy. This could never happen. It ended up not only being not clear-cut in the sense of scientific explanation, but also a rabbit hole of Western civilization encringing on African culture. <laughs> and so, with that being said... Not a light topic. <laughs> it's not light. I, I thought it would be a little bit lighter than it was. It's not. I am going to try my damnedest to make sure that I give credit where credit is due, that I explain things properly. <laughs> You're already I don't think concerned it's, about saying the wrong thing. I, I think I am going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And, and and that, I you know, I, I want to acknowledge that up front. I, mm-hmm. I probably am going to say the wrong thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I offend anybody uh, or anybody's religion, I apologize. I am not a religious person. I just don't believe in most religions. Let's just put it that way. You all obviously know, Anna knows, you all obviously know what I'm going to talk about. I know that it is deep rooted. Uh, it is rooted deep within African culture. The plural African cultures. There, I already made one mistake, and Anna pointed it out. So now I'm going to be sitting here for. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's <laughs> fine. I I need to learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm here to learn, just like everybody else. But I'm also here to tell a story. Yeah. And I'm going to try to tell these stories as best I can. Uh, we'll go on from from here. I do have three stories and an explanation for you tonight. Mm-hmm. The three stories are named after the people that are the main focus of these three stories. And it spans decades, from the 1930s all the way up until the 1980s. Cool. And even further. I would think so. There's a lot of contemporary things to speak of. And beyond. Mm -hmm. So I am ready to start the first story. Tell me a zombie story. The first story is titled Zora. As a PhD student who had just lost funding for her program, Zora was down on her luck. It wasn't easy for a young academic in the 1930s to secure any kind of funding, but she had a passion and a penchant for researching and capturing the heart of African American culture and writing about its origins. Cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one. She had one last shot at funding for a special project, traveling to Haiti to investigate voodoo and its roots. After months of trying, she finally got the news that she was waiting for from the Guggenheim Foundation, 
and secured the funding she would need to begin her research. I can't tell you how much this chance means to me, she wrote back to the foundation. I'm straining every nerve to the goal. As a major figure in the Harlem Renaissance movement, the Guggenheim Foundation had no doubt that their money would be well spent. I gave her a Southern accent. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. In September of 1936, Zora started her adventure and found herself deep in the rural countryside of Haiti, accompanied by local guides who shared stories of the supernatural that pervaded Haitian folklore. The night was alive with whispers of the unknown, and Zora found herself captivated by the mysteries that lay ahead. Is this Zora Neale Hurston? Oh! Okay, I just... Yeah, I don't. Look at you. You're always introducing me to I history know. of people that I don't know about. And, and, and part of this is really important that it is Zora Neale Hurston, but we'll go into that uh, after her story. But yes, mm-hmm. very good call. You got it. Well, I, I, we'll, we'll get into that. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it in a second as to why I wanted this to be a surprise to Anna and why I'm excited about it. Anyway, let's continue on with Zora's journey. It's a unique name. I mean, that was a really big clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zora's eyes sparkled with anticipation as she accompanied Hugen Jacques and other practitioners to sacred ceremonies, observing their rituals and immersing herself in the energy of the spiritual gatherings. Her notebook became a vessel for capturing the essence of their traditions and melodies of their songs and the significance of their symbolic gestures. This is a tapestry of spirituality and resilience, a testament to the enduring power of African religions. I can feel the heartbeat of our ancestors pulsating within these rituals, Zora said excitedly. As she continued to dive deeper into the ritual locations, they came upon a small village further away than Zora had ever gone. A hush settled over the group, broken only by the rustling of the leaves and the distant sounds of nocturnal creatures. Suddenly, a figure emerged from the shadows, a gaunt, hollow-eyed man with a vacant stare. Zora's heart skipped a beat as she realized she was face to face with what she had only read about, a zombie. Is, is that a zombie? Zora said in awe and disbelief. Her guide nodded solemnly, his voice tinged with both caution and reverence. Yes, Zora, that is a zombie. A person brought back from the dead through dark magic and kept in a state of trance-like existence. They are said to be under the control of powerful sorcerers. The zombie's eyes, devoid of life, seemed to penetrate Zora's very being. She felt a strange mix of fear, empathy, and an overwhelming urge to understand the truth behind this haunting figure. Drawing closer, Zora observed the zombie's movements, mechanical, devoid of purpose or awareness. She couldn't help but wonder about the existence and the stories that lay behind those lifeless eyes. What happened to him? How did he become trapped in this state? The journey of a zombie is often filled with tragedy. They are said to have been victims of a sorcerer's spell. When they awaken, they find themselves stripped of their free will and trapped in servitude. Zora was fascinated and asked to take a picture of the man. She saw this man slash creature as the embodiment of the sinister western view of voodoo and sought to learn more about zombies and the rituals and beliefs surrounding them. Zora's time in Haiti was transformative as she witnessed the profound impact of African religions on the lives of the Haitian people. The vibrant ceremonies, the rhythmic drumming, and the fervent devotion touched her soul, awakening a deeper understanding of the importance of spiritual practices in preserving cultural heritage. Armed with her experience and insights, 
Zora returned to her writing, weaving together the threads of her observations and knowledge gained in Haiti, and published her findings and experiences in a book called Tell My Horse in 1938. Hmm. And that's the end of the first story. Hmm. There's a lot to unravel here. Mm -hmm. You deduced that this is Zora Neale Hurston, and it sure is. Mm -hmm. Ana and I are both from the state of Florida. Zora Neale Hurston is a Floridian mm -hmm. writer. You, didn't, and you knew that. Yeah, oh, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. No, of course. Yeah. We both had to read books. Not had to, but we yeah, were exposed we're to her writing through, yeah. through school. Yeah, right. their eyes and were watching God. Their eyes were watching God is 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 her mm -hmm. most famous novel, uh, debatably, but her most famous novel. I didn't know this part. The only reason that we know about Zora Neale Hurston is because Alice Walker mm -hmm. published an article in 1975 called "In Search of Zora Neale Hurston." And from there, then the town of Eaton, Florida, became associated with her history? Or what? Well, no. I okay. mean, from there, people like her, her writings were reawoken. Okay. And, and then... And were brought to light. But, and okay. it was because of Alice Walker mm -hmm. and her fame with The Color Purple that she was able to bring up all of these old writings that Zora Neale Hurston had done. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go on and we're going to tell two more stories. But I want to preface that with the fact that Zora Neale Hurston had gone to Haiti long before anybody else had discovered all of these things, uh, including zombies Pop was part of it. Long before popular culture. Zombies was yeah. part of it. And, and I actually do have the picture to show you mm -hmm. that she took of the zombie. So she asked to take the picture of the zombie. Oh, yeah. I do have photographic evidence for you wow. um, that Zora Neale Hurston took. Mm -hmm. And that, like when I was doing research on this, that was the first thing that popped up was... Here's the picture that Zora Neale Hurston took of a zombie. And I was like, I beg your pardon? Like, <laughs> there were so many things in that sentence that yeah. I, I was truly astounded by. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really cool to, to see. Now, for those of you uh, who have never heard of Zora Neale Hurston, I'm not going to tell you to go out and read Their Eyes Were Watching God. It's a very hard book to get through because it is written in dialect. Yeah. Of old, of like Southern Florida, black, rural Southern yeah, Florida. Yeah, black vernacular mm -hmm, of that time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. From 1930. And that was very intentional on her part. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And that's what she did. She would go, go around to these different Southern rural areas and collect data, collect information on rituals, on practices, on superstitions, and she would write about them. And, and that's why she was such a big part of the Harlem Re yeah. Renaissance. And, and that's why history. the Guggenheim Foundation mm -hmm. was like, you need to go and study Haiti. I don't think people think of her as a sort of a historian or a cultural writer. Well, cultural writer for sure, but not like the anthropological aspects of what she wrote. Absolutely. Um, she did. Yeah. And she wrote about, yeah, enslaved people's histories. Wasn't she involved in that story in, yes. um, Alabama, in Alabama with the last, right. the last, uh, slave the ship. last ship of enslaved people that was brought yes. in? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. A very interesting person throughout history. She wrote a lot. She's known for her fiction work. Yeah. But she wrote a lot of nonfiction. And that's what, yeah, I think that's what's really neat to find out yeah i don't know if she ever got her phd actually i didn't i'm i'm sorry i didn't go further into that but <laughs> overrated phds whatever. so let's talk a little bit a little bit about haiti <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this is all can i see the picture oh yeah sorry <laughs> i'm literally just googling zora neil hurston zombie photo i will have everything in the links of course as in the show usual. notes mm -hmm. as usual here is the 1937 photograph of a zombie that zora neil hurston took i'm just seeing an image of a haitian man it looks to be tired, um, looking directly at the camera, it seems, I'm, with awareness. 
He does seem to have awareness. Yeah, yeah I agree. He just looks very tired and kind of like, just, kind of lost. Yeah. Maybe I don't, a little I, lost. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, his clothing is disheveled. I don't know, you know, socioeconomically if that would have been the typical, his his typical attire. But yeah. um, he's not looking very happy or well. But it's all in the eyes, right? Like the black, yeah. black eyed children. Right. I can't, I can't see his eyes well enough to see much at all. This is the yeah. 1930s. Mm-hmm. Photography was in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. It was terrible. Uh, so we have potato quality picture of a zombie. It's better than a lot of the other evidence we've seen, though, in terms of quality yeah. photo. <laughs> yeah. And it was also, it's true, even with high definition things. Yeah. Um, it was better than Jack. It, this is better than Jack Osborne's Skinwalker. <laughs> yeah. So that's the picture. It would pass in a in a modern day zombie film or show. Yeah. It it's would. it's haunting. Mm-hmm. It's haunting. It he seems upset. He seems mm-hmm. tired. Yeah. Who, who knows what that means? And our right. next story We're might shed talk, yeah. some light on that. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about Haiti. I didn't know this. So Haiti was the only African populized country that was sovereign for 100 plus years since Western civilization. You know, even even talking about Africa. So World War One was all yeah. about African territories and which European nation owned which African territory. So, As someone who backpacked around Africa, I can tell you that by trying their beer, mm-hmm. it was all brewed by the German law, the German purity law, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> it was all oh. influenced by that. Very interesting uh, cultural kind of thing there. But anyway, so the, you know, everywhere you go, there there are these these European influences within Africa. In Haiti, mm-hmm. however, there is this preservation of this society and these practices and these religions. It sounds like what you're saying is that a large portion of the Haitian population were enslaved Africans or were they freed upon being kidnapped and brought to Haiti? I don't know. Okay. And who are the indigenous people of Haiti is what I'm asking. Yeah. It would be Caribbean uh, indigenous people. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it's a blended population Mm -hmm. that, for, for 400 years now has been a continuously self-governed blended population of Caribbean and black people, right? not governed by white people. Right. Uh-huh. Except for the United States Marine Corps did control Haiti for 20 years. Okay. And there's, a interest, there's an interesting story behind that. We're not going to get into that here, mm-hmm. but you should know about it mm-hmm. as we go through and talk about the rest of what we're going to talk about, because we're going to talk about Haiti a lot. And yeah. the reason why we're going to talk about Haiti a lot is because Haitian law actually still kind of, from what I understand, acknowledges that somebody can be dead, but a zombie. Oh, yeah. wow. So okay. you can be dead, but not dead. And Interesting. Okay. They do recognize that because it's part of their religion. It's part of their culture. It's a thing. Now, what a zombie is, we'll go into that in a little bit. Uh, but I do want to tell you another story tied to zombies. Please. Okay. This next story is entitled Clairvius. In the rural landscape of Haiti, a story unfolded that would challenge the boundaries of beliefs and the mysteries of life and death. It centered around a man named Clarius Narcissus, whose extraordinary journey would defy all logical explanation. Clarius lived a modest life in a small Haitian village, working as a farmer and tending to his family's land. However, in 1962, his world took a haunting turn when he suddenly fell ill. His condition rapidly deteriorated, and despite efforts of local doctors and healers, Clarius succumbed to what appeared to be death. What appeared to be death? 
Mourning his loss, his family prepared his body for burial, following the customs and rituals that had been practiced for generations. Days turned into weeks, and life carried on in the village, but unbeknownst to everyone, Clarius awoke. He found himself buried, but felt the coffin he was buried in being exhumed. His senses were slowly returning, but trapped in a realm between life and death. Confusion and panic washed over him as he started to realize his surroundings. When the coffin lid burst open, a strange man stood over him and force-fed him some type of paste. Clarivius's consciousness slowly slipped away into a nightmare as he found himself ensnared in the clutches of a sinister individual who recognized the opportunity to exploit his condition. Captured and stripped of his autonomy, Clarius became a pawn in a dark and clandestine scheme. The same individual who had subjected him to his falsified death and robbed him of his soul now forced him into a life of labor on a remote sugar plantation. Stripped of his identity and reduced to a mere shadow, he toiled under the oppressive sun, enduring grueling conditions and experiencing unimaginable cruelty. Day after day, Clarius worked in the fields, his body a vessel of unrelenting pain and exhaustion. Forced to perform tasks beyond his physical limits, he became a ghostly figure among his fellow laborers. Over a decade went by and eventually the master of the plantation died. With his death, the regular daily potions that stole his free will and memories ceased and Clarius's memories began to slowly return, although they were confused and sporadic. When he finally remembered the village he was from, he returned there in 1980 and was instantly recognized by family and friends and brought back into society. His tale was so astounding that it attracted the attention of the Haitian government, medical doctors, and psychologists. Clarvius's case is arguably the first verifiable zombie case in recorded history. And that's the tale of Clarvius. Sounds like he was poisoned. Yes. And uh, we'll go into by what? Mm-hmm. in our next story but what do you think so far of clarius yeah of, yeah first of all of of zora zora neil oh. hurston mm-hmm. witnessing zombies for herself mm-hmm. this man who ha- was declared dead mm-hmm. returned to life a uh, somewhat normal life mm-hmm. as, as normal as you can be after that i don't even know mm-hmm. that's like coming back from being a pow i think uh or coming back from being a, a slave yeah. Because it sounded like he, he was, was just enslaved. an enslaved person. Uh-huh. When was With, that? Uh, 1960, he was kidnapped in 19... Let's call it kidnapping because that's what it is. 1962, he eventually came out. I think... I said 1980. I think it was like 19... It was in the early 1980s. And in Haiti? Yes. I guess... Well, a couple of things. I don't know enough about Zora Neale Horston's background before she went to Haiti. Mm-hmm. Like to the extent that she had believed in... zombies and was like oh is that a zombie it's like and then it's like yes but that doesn't really go into what the phenomena is and why it's called paranormal right it's just a term and it could if we think about it from that perspective it could be a term for someone who is in some sort of stupor and is wandering as we've talked about this like dissociative fugue state right that can happen Mm -hmm. and doesn't necessarily attribute that to anything paranormal. It's just a word right. that we have to re- remember. We all have an incredible amount of connotations and cultural associations with that word. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what she meant when she said, is it a zombie? I don't know what 
Well, they she didn't have the tools that even you have today. It's, yeah. And the terminology yeah. and the studies and, and yeah. yeah. And so when we talk about the second case, it's like you can, you can use words like, you know, near death experience. You can use words like brain injury. You can word, you know, use like, look at medical things that were happening in a, like, um, any kind of toxins in a person's system, a uh, stroke, you know, things that can lead a person to appear dead or unconscious mm -hmm. and they're not actually there's i'll share i can share with you a very recent case of that happened in ecuador last month mm -hmm. where a woman had a stroke was declared dead put in a coffin and then five hours later when they opened the coffin to put her clothing on for her memorial service she was breathing yeah so that's to me the modern medical line of what is how do we declare death what tools do we have? That's the first kind of piece that comes to my mind with zombies. And then and then it becomes if a person is conscious and behaving in a quote zombie like way, there's a myriad of possible medical explanations for that, medical and psychiatric explanations for right. that. Yeah. And for this person, we always go first to biologically did something happen? Was there mm -hmm. a stroke? Was there a brain injury? Was there poisoning or a substance medically? His, no, and, you know. and his medical, I left those out, but his medical condition when he went into the hospital originally sounded like poisoning. Mm -hmm. Like it just sounded, it was like gastrointestinal issues and mm -hmm. not just issues, but you know, horrific things that were going on, yeah. bleeding out of orifices. Yeah. It, it was bad. Yeah. But and, it, it sounded like poison for sure. And then how did he end up in this terrible persons he was declared uh, dead by three western doctors so this yeah. was during the occupation of either you know of somebody so it yeah. wasn't and, and that's what kind of captured the eye of the western world on this case mm -hmm. because it wasn't a haitian doctor who found this okay it was western doctors that, who declared oh, him dead yes yeah, this is right? going to touch on so many I know, pieces it's, because it's dangerous like, just because it was a western or maybe a white doctor does not mean he was being treated with the most right care or Absolutely. modern western medicine yeah. he could have been disregarded and as a relic or as a as an example of of racism institutional or systemic in the healthcare system by the colonizers so there's so many pieces that right so that, in other yeah. words white doctors made a mistake yeah and i guess that doesn't really explain the enslavement maybe it right. does that's what i was like how did he maybe get into like, that oh, person's possession we made a possession. mistake uh mm -hmm. hey sugar guy take this guy yeah. and drug him with LSD for So how did his body end up years. in the custody of this person and then they revive either revived him or or took him in and Right. So part of that's the zombie a whole difference. <laughs> part of the zombification ritual and mm -hmm. and I took out the word sorcerer in a lot of this but yeah. the word sorcerer was used throughout this story. Mm -hmm. The zombification ritual happens first by the sorcerer targeting you making it look like you're dead somehow by mm -hmm. a potion or by magic or mm -hmm. by something uh, when you are dead then they exhume your body and then they give you something to steal your soul after that you are a husk of a human and then you are enslaved and that, that is the again this is the me reading the things that i'm reading yeah i have no idea i'm not a well, uh i'm not a religious uh person yeah, so or a religion expert but i'm yeah. flipping it back on you and asking you questions because yeah. i i have not done i don't yeah, know yeah. as I'll, much I'll, about i'll answer as best i can yeah. okay so that what that description that you just gave of the zombification process mm -hmm. does that include death does what include does death? that include part of that process death do they kill you i miss that do they they make your heart so they make your they, heart they make you appear dead they make you appear dead so yeah. that's a really important piece okay so yeah. that okay so and and then the second is this as as of 
a Haitian voodoo belief that you're describing? It, it is, but the next person I get into does this really great talk, and I'm yeah. not saying he's the end-all be-all to Haitian beliefs. He does have a very good explanation of, of the cyclical idea of life within African cultures, which is we are alive. When we die, we get closer to God. And when we die, that doesn't necessarily mean we die. Mm -hmm. it, it's this, you know, it just means that our souls have kind of left our bodies mm -hmm. And our bodies are just husks mm -hmm. at that point. I can't do it justice. I do have that uh, YouTube video that I watched of him talking. I will put it in the notes. Okay. And the next story we're going to talk about is actually about this man So I, and, and his studies. Okay. If you want me to read that, I think that might explain some of the stuff, of, of the stuff you're going into. Yeah, the questions yeah. that I have about it as a, as a belief system in the socio-historical context of that. No, this is going okay. to go more into the chemistry of zombification. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it's all fascinating. Yeah. The, I, I did take out a lot of the uh, anthropological studies because this man has gotten credit for quite a bit of things. And it turns out that Zora Neale Hurston actually had did already. Of, of course. Yeah. 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 So, mm -hmm. so, and yes, he is a, he's a white Canadian man. Uh, Who wrote about this in the 70s? Yeah. And then she had already written about it 40 years before. Yes. But with that being said, he does try really hard to express that he's not the first person to do this and also express that, you know, he he wanted things to go differently. Yeah. Okay, Let's put tell, it that way. tell me that story, please. Story okay. number three. Story number three is entitled Wade. During his research in Haiti, Wade Davis, an ethnobotanist, made significant discoveries related to the toxins used in the practice of zombification. His investigations unveiled the presence of specific substances that played a crucial role in inducing the death-like state and subsequent reanimation of individuals. Davis's scientific explorations led him to identify a potent neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin. Okay. Tetrodotoxin. Tetrodotoxin. Yeah? I don't know. Okay. I can just make things sound like words. Tetrodotoxin. Yeah, you're a doctor. <laughs> of course you can. Which he found to be a key element in the zombification process. This toxin is derived from various natural sources, including the flesh of pufferfish found in the Caribbean coastal waters. The effect of tetrodotoxin on the human body is profound. It inhibits nerve impulses, leading to muscle weakness, respiratory depression, and a decrease in heart rate. The victim appears lifeless with no discernible sign of consciousness or responsiveness. However, the toxin does not cause any significant damage to the brain or vital organs. Wade published his findings and experiences in the book The Serpent and the Rainbow, which made its way into a movie directed by Wes Craven in 1988. Despite the sensationalism of his work, Wade continued to write and speak on Haitian culture to dispel all the myths and lies that have been told about this rich and vibrant culture. I added that last part in there because I, I really wanted to hammer that home. When I saw him speak about it, he didn't seem like a man who was trying to cash in mm -hmm. on sensationalizing other people's cultures or religion. He sounded really upset about the way that the Serpent in the Rainbow went in 1988. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was given to Wes, Wes Craven. So he's like, the, he's like, I'm Canadian guy. The damn Americans got a hold of this. No, <laughs> I, I think he admits that this was, uh, it was what it was. Now, with all this being said, lots of controversy around the way that Davis performed his scientific research. He has gotten, there have been people who are like, this is straight up. He had falsified data. Oh, 
there are people who are like, he didn't falsify the data, but it was bad science. In what way? I don't know. Okay. Wiki- so many ways to do bad science. It's on Wikipedia. We haven't talked about that enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, Davis was credited with going and living with the Haitians and doing a lot of anthropological work and finding these different mm-hmm. neurotoxins. He was, by trade, an ethnobotanist. Mm-hmm. So mm. I, I, I think what that means is somebody who researches plants within a culture. Yeah, how Not cultures use fish. plants, right? Or bot- use I don't know. I'm, I don't. Know. I think a botanist is plants. Has to I could be, be wrong. Okay. I mean, yeah. But anyway, let's say it wasn't. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there still I mean, was. You can do derivative research. You can, right. you can branch out. Sure. And and I think he did here. And I I still think that it wasn't that great. Now again, this was back in the 1970s, 1980s. One of the things that made Wade decide to go to Haiti, um, aside from a large grant, I think from Harvard. Mm-hmm. Was uh, Clarivius's story? So mm-hmm. he went and he met with Clarivius, and he he, mm-hmm. he did, so the serpent and the rainbow is actually based off of Clarivius's story. I thought so. Yeah. Okay. So this is his story. Mm-hmm. I've only seen the movie. I haven't read a lot about it. So you're gonna have to help dispel me of some of. What's... I've never seen it. I have no okay. idea. I mean, I think they depict uh, him in a, as he's a nice guy, but um, I have yeah, no idea. I did not see the movie. I don't know Good. any of the main characters. It's not that great. I didn't movie. want to watch the movie to begin with mm-hmm. because uh, when I was researching this, because Wade Davis basically said it was it. bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said it was sensationalized, and mm-hmm. and and he gets it. I think to a certain extent of where it's like, well, Hollywood they had to sell the movie, but also yeah. like he didn't have to cash in necessarily, but. I'm so, not here to get mad at anybody for getting, making money, and, and that this is the way the world works, mm-hmm. right? Now, what we are here to, here to do is to talk a little bit about how these things have gotten sensationalized and what might actually be going on here and kind of give a little bit of history, but then also dive into some more scientific stuff. Yeah. One of several of Davis's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, so, yeah, several of Davis's critics have mm-hmm. come out to say, actually... Most of the things that you describe sound like mental illnesses. And so he was trying to say what we call, he was trying to help explain the use of these neurotoxins neurotoxins Mm -hmm. in a cultural context in zombification practices. Yep. And in many ways, dispel the notion that zombies are paranormal, but are actually, or and are caused by some magical religious practice, mm-hmm. but in fact, it's caused by an intentional exposure to these chemicals that makes someone appear dead and that Make- makes someone then in a subdued state. Yes. So then I think those are two things that we just go ahead and solidify right now. When yeah. we say zombie, we mean somebody who has died, come back from the grave, and no longer has any free will or a soul. From a paranormal pop culture perspective. Yes. That is the, yep. yes, that is the definition that I think we are helping to try to look at what are the actual explanations for something that might appear like that. Right. Because and people are not walking around dead. <laughs> not many people believe this to be real, though. You're not telling me any stories. Well, that's what I asked about with, with your original story that you mentioned is Orin Hurst, and we don't even know what she meant when she said that term. She might have meant, she might have already been aware of practices that involve, quote, zombification of, yeah. a, of a living person. I think she was. And yeah. that's my question. Do people, do the people who, did he, did Wade learn this by people who are saying, whatever the world thinks zombies are, here's what they they're actually caused by these substances right or is it a popular belief system in haiti that these are caused by 
magical religious practices is a combination. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think the use of the term sorcerer mm-hmm. is prolific. In Haitian culture? In, no, in, in, Westerners in Westerners describing Haitian culture. Oh, okay. And so when oh, you say sorcerer, like, that's going to include magic, black magic, yeah. all these different terms that have kind of come up. Okay. So what would be, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What would, what's, and did Wade describe this or um, have you read anything about what's the motivation to do, to do these, use these substances and to zombify a person? So when Clarvius came back, he was welcomed back into society. However, there had been reports of him abandoning his children, abandoning his wife, trying to steal the land from his brother. So it could be that somebody paid or hired a sorcerer, Uh a voodoo sorcerer or sorceress to go after him Mm -hmm. and and zombify him Mm -hmm. to get him out of the way Mm -hmm. or to punish him for doing something wrong. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very Western view of this because Mm -hmm. another thing that I heard Wade Davis talk a lot about is the American occupation of Haiti Mm -hmm. in which a lot of the brass, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of of the officers Mm -hmm. wrote books about, and it was all from a very Christian-centric. So it was, mm -hmm. this is black magic, Mm -hmm. this is for evil, there's no good reason for this to happen, there's no, you know, so it's it's very hard to try to sift through all of that. Yeah. I don't know. It's It's, also hard mm -hmm. to find the truth of what really happened to Clarivius, because a lot of it was undocumented. A lot of it, a lot of what really happened might have been swept under the rug by the government. Uh, it was embarrassing to the Western doctors who were there who declared him dead. They might have just been trying to cover up something themselves. Mm-hmm. We don't know. There's and then so who much... was, again, who was he enslaved by? A a, a wealthy sugar plantation owner. Uh, a colonizer. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't, I, I couldn't oh, find that even... information. I okay. couldn't find the oh, name so obscure, of the person. Yeah, yeah it's very obscure because he just kind of shows up. Now, this also might not be Clarius who shows up at the yeah. end of it. He apparently only returned to his village once he had found out, first of all, once he had regained his consciousness and everything, but also I think it was after his brother had died and now the land was kind of up mm-hmm. for someone to grab. Mm-hmm. And so then this man shows up in the village. Now, the village embraced him. His wife embraced him uh, and 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 knew and, and knew him to be who he said he was. Mm-hmm. However, also I wouldn't be surprised if women couldn't own land. So then this guy shows up who kind of looks like him, and she says, "You were a zombie for you were my my husband and a zombie for a long time, and now I can live back on my land again, and I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about so any many of that pieces." Stuff. Right? Yeah, lots of pieces here. Mm-hmm. But I sent you an article mm-hmm. on some of the more reasonable explanations for some of these people's behaviors because this isn't the only doc. Documented case. There are several other documented cases, but I wanted to send you that article where you could kind of dive into that and and see some of the psychological reasons behind this. Yeah, and it was really interesting to me because it's sort of just getting at not so much the histor- cultural and historical history that you're getting into a bit, but the what might be going on when a person is appears in a zombie like state, just from a right. What's what's psychologically going on? Because again, we're not <laughs> going to assume that they are dead. And right. have reemerged from the dead, right? Because that's not um, within the bounds of normal explanations of what happened to people, right? right. That's but I think also was... among the normal explanations. Right. Yeah. There was one person in there who was like, I think I'm dead. I smell like death. There's there's death. Yeah. There so that was death. one of them. The person yeah. might believe, they might, yeah. ha- they might hold a delusional belief that they are a living dead person and that they are rotting and that they, and that's an interesting I, I one because I had not heard of that. Um, uh, really? Because yeah. I kind of get that. 
as like <laughs> that they're sort of um they're in a delusional state and then they're behaving consistently with their delusion that they are dead but behaving um, what was that called behaving by like their idea of what a zombie would be from a western movie sure. perspective yeah yeah well yeah. that's really interesting too because it's the, you have these delusions that you're dead, but then you're acting like a movie zombie more yeah. than anything else, yeah. right? Well, yeah. well, that goes back to expectancy theory that we talked about before yeah. of like, I'm giving you alcohol. It's not really alcohol. You still might behave like you were drinking. Right. It's powerful what our associations and our brain do, our, do to our behavior, especially in a delusional state or in very vulnerable yeah. psychiatric condition. And, like and one of the things disorder. one of the things I read about about real zombies was, uh, of course, the case. I think it was in Florida of the person who did bath salts and then ate like bit somebody. Oh gosh! Or ate somebody's face or something like it was some really weird thing like that. Yeah. But that's all that Western idea of what a zombie is. If you look at Haitian lore, zombies don't eat, eat people. people. No, they're very they're, much. They don't know what to do. I mean, they might kill somebody because their their handler, quote unquote, has them kill somebody, but that. You know, the, the, the craving more, of human flesh is yeah. just like, that's like a, a Romero thing, right? Uh, you're yeah. right. But I think it, it gets at the bridge that we're talking about between a culture where they might use the term zombie to describe a person who's behaving in a uh, dissociative state. And that might be because of a psychiatric condition or mm -hmm. medical condition in a, in a context where they don't necessarily have Western medicine, medical explanations for those things. Yeah. And so, and then combine that with, then the West hears about these things. And because of potentially a very biased and maybe racist ideology they're going to assume that these what they hear of as oh they use the word zombie they make people zombies and then what are the worst things that people then they're going to ascribe all these terrible behaviors because they believe that people those people are possible of those behaviors mm. does that make sense yeah, oh yeah. like those oh, yeah. zombies from that that those people from that region of the of the world make zombies and then they eat people like the worst possible human right. yeah. behaviors. So I think that it goes back to um, in group out group fear of the un, of other hierarchical thinking about humans mm -hmm. and and then just attributing uh, creating stories and bad behavior about people that's not true. Yeah, I think that's a piece of it. So the mundane psychological explanations for the not stereotyped cannibalistic behavior of zombies, but right. the just person behaving in a quote zombie-like state right. of um, catatonic, uh, dissociated, not not connected with reality. They might be physically immobile, or they might be walking and meandering. Yeah, that includes what you mentioned, a spe very specific delusional disorder where a person believes that they are mm -hmm. a zombie and then acts that way. That's very rare. They called, they said it was Cotard syndrome. I have never heard it. I've never mm. seen it. Okay. Then there are ones that I have seen, which is like catas catatonic uh, forms of schizophrenia. So a person is basically immobilized in a rare, a rare form of schizophrenia mm -hmm. where a person is not speaking or moving or not showing a range of human responses, but they're alive and they're awake. Yeah. Eyes are open, breathing. Maybe then you present them with food they might eat, but they're not otherwise engaging but with the world. But not people's brains. No, no, <laughs> never seen that, but have definitely seen people in that state. And then even before that, the most more basic is brain brain injuries, mm -hmm. epilepsy. A person's had a severe stroke, and you know we see we yeah. see a loss of functioning because of, of brain functioning. Yeah. But that's and that's often we think about also forms of dementia, 
where like frontotemporal dementia, where you're going to see deterioration in the cerebral cortex, you're going to see more of the personality deteriorate before you're going to see basic functions deteriorate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, extreme forms of learning disability, you know, developmentally disabled individuals, but again, that are not, they're not dangerous. And that also goes to me to the misconception of people with mental illness as dangerous. Right. I, I think yeah. one of the one of the shocking things about actually studying zombies and, and true zomb real zombies or, or trying to find what they were or what they what they're believed to be is that they're not again, I, I think <laughs> they're not zombies. They're, they're not, not they're not dangerous. No. It's it's they're enslaved people, it sounds like. Uh, in, enslaved kind of drugged to which is I think how current human trafficking works. I don't. I don't think it's changed very much. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you about. In in if, yeah. in Haitian culture, when did did these belief system did this belief system emerge? You know, four hundred years ago, around the time of enslaved people showing up in Haiti. No, no. I I, I think actually, and and again, I I'm not an expert on this, but from what I've been able to read, it all comes down to the cycle of of life within the beliefs of the. Uh, the beliefs of the of the peoples of Africa. So it's more okay. So, it, so the, it, it in the African more, diaspora, there were belief systems yes. that carried not, into not necessarily believe uh -huh. that you could become a zombie. I don't think it was that clear cut. No, but I think the belief the of like a cyclical, like here's here's a relationship with nature, with mm -hmm. God, with or with some supernatural being, you know, whatever it is they believed in, and and being able to go there, come back from it, believing that our our bodies are just husks, mm -hmm. but that they can be inhabited. They can, there can be something there without a soul. Mm -hmm. That's a very, I mean, that's, that's Christian as well. There's nothing, yeah. you know, super, you know, divergent than, than what Western civilizations believe. Yeah. And you could their be religions. akin to like a demonic possession at the worst. Form. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the worst, that's right. Mm -hmm. So, but, but it, it, it sounds like that's kind of where all of this came from. And, and again, I don't, I wish I, I did know a little bit more about it, but I didn't have time to read The Serpent of the Rainbow. I didn't have time to read uh, Zora Neale. Well, you're not getting your, a dissertation done on this right now. <laughs> you I'm not getting any dissertations are. done right now. No. Before we go any further, I do uh -huh. have three real life zombies or zombie like things that occur in nature that I would like to talk Ooh, to you about. Yeah, I love those. Yeah. So the last the last part here is called real zombies. The first biological thing we're going to talk about is Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. And that well, might what? sound very familiar <laughs> to some of you out there, and on it might sound very familiar to you, mm -hmm. because cordyceps are the names of the zombies in The Last of Us. I love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, this is this a good point for me to mention that taking off my psychologist hat, I'm just like a super fan of zombie movies yeah, and shows no, and yeah, stuff, and I haven't favorite. acknowledged that at yeah. all. And I want I want to talk a little bit of, at some point about the what maybe why do. Westerners and Americans have such a fascination with zombies. Yeah. There's a huge piece that I can just speak to as a person who's into it. No, absolutely. But for now, we're going to talk about Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Okay. This is a type of parasitic fungus that infects ants, alters their behavior, and ultimately kills them. The infected ant is compelled to climb to a high point where it clamps onto a leaf or twig before it dies. The fungus then grows out of the ant's body and releases spores to infect other ants. This zombie-like behavior serves to propagate the fungus. That's amazing. It's a an, an unique sort of parasitic relationship, right? I don't know what biologists uh, would call it. Is it constitute parasitic or? It's not like yeah, yeah. It, de it definitely constitutes parasitic, but not the good kind, not the uh, symbiotic. No, that's symbiotic. That's yeah, not parasitic. This is that's not, not parasitic. Yeah, well, no, there, I think there is a type. Of, remember, we looked this up. There is a type of parasitic that is symbiotic. 
Is it called a parasitic? It it's is. It's vernacular, yeah, we were, we though. Were both I, thought, freaked I was out like, I that. thought that was a symbiosis. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't remember, but mutual... I, I feel like we've talked about this before. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that would be if we had a biologist on here talking about in in nature there are relationships between right. organisms, and so even if you're if it's a neurotoxin that puts you in a zombie-like state, is it does it get anything out of doing that? If it's a bio, yeah. if it's an organism, yeah, that does that, not a toxin. Mm-hmm. The second one is called. Toxoplasma gondii. Now, I did some research on this. This is a normal thing that happens within humans. Actually, all mammals are susceptible to Toxoplasma gondii, but there's something special about this one. It's a parasitic protozoan that can alter the behavior of rodents, making them less afraid of predators. The parasites need to get into the cat's digest or need to get into the predator's digestive system to complete its life cycle. This change in behavior benefits the parasite. So, in other mm-hmm. words, when tax, Toxoplasma gondii gets into a rodent specifically, it makes them less afraid of cats and, 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 and other predators because they can propagate within their digestive tract. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't it crazy? It changes their brain chemistry yeah. to be less afraid. Wow. Yeah. That's it, it does. It, that's not quite changing your. It's not like changing free will. It's it's something else. It's something actually more sinister. It's yeah, because it changes yeah. your motivations. It changes your vulnerability. Yeah. It's and it, I say you are. We're already thinking like, well, if that happened to us, and that's part of the appeal of understanding this these aspects in nature and, and biology is like, is the self-referential implications we always have where we're like, what if that could happen to a human? Like, can we? Can these? Can humans ingest this stuff or? be in, uh, infected yeah by. toxoplasma gondii yeah. yeah i don't uh, from what i read it doesn't have the same effect on humans it's it yeah. still is a dangerous parasite mm-hmm. uh to to get uh to get infected with but uh i don't think it it doesn't yeah. change our brain chemistry or, or if it does mm-hmm. it's it's only because of fever or something mm-hmm. else like that it's not yeah. it, it's only specific it's like rodents specifically that, that yeah. they mention but that's that would make a great horror film Right, yeah. that like oh, I'm oh there's sure a version of this. Just there's like, probably a horror film out there that's already, that's like then yeah. we all just start jumping in the water with great white sharks and we start putting ourselves in really vulnerable situations. Yeah. <laughs> this last one's gonna blow. This last one blew my mind. I guess I should say I don't know if it's gonna blow your mind. This is called the zombie parasite, Leucochloridium. This is a parasitic worm that infects snails. The worm's larvae develop in the snail's eye stalks, causing them to swell and pulsate with bright colors. This attracts birds, which eat the snail's eye stalks and then spread the parasite's eggs through their droppings. <laughs> that blew my mind. So it causes obviously a physical deformity, I guess you could say, yeah. but a very specific physical deformity that attracts a predator. Yeah. That is insane. So, both of those, so it doesn't yeah. change their, their behavior, it just changes the way they look. Mm hmm. And then makes them more attractive to the thing they need in order to spread. Yeah, it, that that's it's insane. Amazing. And and that's I mean again, most of these things are are now in some kind of movie or video game. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. It, it is the device. It's a. It's the like. It's the. It's the amazing functions of tiny microscopic organisms, like even a virus. If you think about it, that it like it's this, oh, yeah. it's an invisible thing that can get in your body and make you go around sneezing to spread itself. Like it's it's crazy. It's crazy. 
<laughs> it's crazy. And you know what? One of the things I read about that I didn't really talk about because it's a little too scary. It's a little too on the nose is I think it was in Sweden or Russia where, and I know those are two very different places, but just bear with me, <laughs> uh, where a scientist had uh, just permafrost is starting to uh, melt around the world. Scientists found what they call a giant virus. And all that means is that you can actually see the virus with your naked eye. You don't mm-hmm. need to see it. You don't need a microscope to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it a zombie virus because apparently when it does infect something, it does change the behavior of the host. Yeah. Now, apparently it can't infect humans, but number one, stop, stop digging things up from permafrost and bringing <laughs> back giant viruses like why who the hell do you think you are they're scientists okay have they never read any science fiction in their life <laughs> yeah have that made never... them want to do it to to study you know the unknown yeah great study the unknown and destroy humanity <laughs> fantastic have you never seen the x-files ever um, there's also, like 10 episodes about that there are but what i have to say about those episodes they're terrible those episodes <laughs> no honestly by the end when it's like the government swoops in and quarantines a place and and nukes it and nukes it or whatever and it's supposed to make them look like the bad guys and it's like um they just saved humanity from a discovered parasitic Mulder's whole thing though is like we should know we should know not not, not just we should know but what if this happens again like yeah how do do you know this is the only place this is being defrosted from yeah that i get i get that too but that's in the reality the government's not doing that scientists are just studying this stuff and then you know like right that's they're the government is not ahead of science. If we don't believe, if we've never believed that at any point, we should believe it now. The government is not ahead of science. No. <laughs> On discovering any things. government, by the way. The government is funding some of this research, but they're not even involved in that. The government is a bunch of yahoos. <laughs> yeah, they're all yahoos. Yeah. You yahoos. Okay. okay. But so those are you my real that, life. But... <laughs> no, I won't cut it. That's a good one. Government or yahoos. That's a scientific fact. I wanted to mention something happening in science that isn't from a biologic from from a discovery but like science being able to create zombies if you will okay so i i used to share this with my students when we would talk about the subjectivity of defining death which is a piece of what i think we're talking about sure so in 2019 uh yale scientists yale researchers were able to um restore the brain functioning of the tissues obtained from 32 pig brains four hours after they had lost blood circulation and were um, they brought that babe beheaded it's just the brain just the heads of the pigs were very alien too yeah yeah they was a revival through circulating of oxygen and nutrients rich solution through the brains using a complex system specifically designed to do that for up to six hours after the fluids were initially pumped the blood vessels and capillaries throughout the brains remained dilated delivering oxygen and nutrients and the brain showed levels of oxygen intake comparable to a functioning intact brain. They demonstrated less decomposition than other pig brains, and they engaged in immune responses, so they started to act like they were functioning brains. Mm-hmm. So, reanimation dun, dun, dun. on the horizon. The zombie pigs. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be the next Wes Craven movie you see. Yeah. And you wanted to talk about some other things about yeah. how much you love zombies. And, <laughs> and why. Um, and why. Socio-political, economical reasons oh, as yeah, to why. Sure. That my very yeah. childlike brain just liked The Night of the Living Dead from the first time I saw it. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, 
because we we often like to talk about here are the mundane explanations and but that are even more fascinating when you look at biology and psychology of for paranormal phenomena but it's also then why are people still so interested if we can vary if if after doing just like half a day's research on this you can uncover such an amazing history and well, I'm a really good researcher. Oh, sure. And you are. <laughs> no, no, you no. are. I, I can Google I, things every once in a while, sure. Well, I think you did a great job. And you probably said some of the wrong things, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't no, I definitely know did. these things. So, by the way, if I said any of the wrong things, feel free to email me and let me know at stories at paranormaloutsiders.com. What's the name of our <laughs> what do we do? podcast again? So, if, yeah, if you're actually able to, like, quote, debunk the paranormal of this and, and, there has not been a documented case of a person coming back to life in this way, then what keeps people motivated to, and what keeps the cultural, pop cultural aspect of this going? And I think a lot of it is our Western fascination with death. But so much of what I love about zombie movies is the social commentary mm-hmm. among all of the, in comparison to all of so many other paranormal genres, like the vampire genre or the ghost genre. There's so much more on the nose stupid sexy commentary vampires. right yeah. uh, that zombies get at about how we relate to each other as humans in group out group um the dynamics of survival and the ridiculousness of our fears our behaviors and and consumerism there's so many great themes across yeah. romero's work and although he's not qualified to investigate the paranormal I think that he never claimed to be, by the way. No, he never claimed to be. Yeah. He never even claimed in, in the first film in Night of the Living Dead when he he made it a powerful social commentary by having a black male protagonist yeah. hero mm-hmm. who then, spoiler alert, at the end of this very, very old film is killed not because he's a zombie, but because some ignorant person shot him through a window, maybe yep. thinking he was a zombie, but he Romero inadvertently made a really powerful cultural comment about race in American society at the time. When people asked him, I, I liked his answer was I hired the most talented actor that I could at the, access at that time with my with my college budget and my, yeah. um, or I don't know if he might have been a dropout at the time, but that he he wasn't seeking to make that comment. Um, and I mean, and he obviously this actor should have been much better paid and had a better role career at that right. point already. And I just, I think there's something really powerful in that uh, story. 100%. And everything from there. And I, as a horror movie fanatic buff, whatever you want to call me, not just the zombie genre, mm-hmm. but all of them, I think the, the horror genre is able to do that better than any other genre mm-hmm. because you don't have to worry about acceptance. <laughs> no, you're, it's so many. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you're gonna find somebody who likes your film. Yeah. And unfortunately, that causes a lot of garbage nowadays. Like it is. There's just there's just so much garbage out there. Yeah. But there there are some very thoughtful, low budget movies that touch on really important social yeah. themes. Oh yeah, so many great directors started out in horror. And, for and, them, and still it was, go back to it. And the, yeah. yeah. And that's like, this is what I watched in my spare time where they were going back to making it too. Yeah. yeah. And, the, Guillermo, and they, Guillermo like, del Toro, yeah, I think James Cameron might've been, like some directors yeah. you wouldn't be surprised to know started out in horror because you get to, you get to play. With a lot of Lord themes. of the Rings? It's a, a genre you can play in. There is a lot of, to come back to this topic though. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Sheesh. In the horror genres, there's a lot of perpetuation of 
problematic stereotypes, beliefs, and imagery and misrepresentation of cultural and really, you know, cultural practices. Like, so that's another piece I was going to give Romero credit that I forgot to mention. He did not say that the origin of zombies in his was not some misrepresentation of voodoo, voodoo belief systems or Haitian belief systems. It was just a, uh, the radiation explanation, right? Like that. Right. Yeah. The cosmic radiation. The cosmic radiation. You yeah. see that like, uh, people usually say, oh, it's the B explanation. If it's like a meteor dropping down, it's going to be a bad zombie movie. And it's like, no, maybe actually it's really important to move away from trying to appear authentic by using stories that you're that are not rooted in your in your culture that you're not represent you're not representing that community and maybe we need more stories that are representative right and and that's an interesting thing to bring up especially about hor the horror genre yeah. is that all bets are off right nobody is safe the and and I'm, i i know there's people out there who are thinking like oh well you know you're making you know, who cares if they stole something about Haitian religion mm -hmm. because they steal stuff about Christian religion all the time. You know, there's a million horror movies about demonic possession and, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. some satire mm -hmm. about it and there's you know that and, and some of it is. So I and I think that the you know important thing is to is to look at if you're utilizing a figure from a marginalized and also possibly sensationalized member of society then you might not be doing the right thing. Yeah, I think you're, that's yes, exactly what I was trying to say. Like, are you, who are you representing and who needs representation? And uh, yeah, and maybe we can punch up. <laughs> yeah. Or derive stories in a different way. Derive stories in a different way, right. Mm -hmm. Did did Romero mean to um, to do that? No, I don't think so. Um, of course, we, we would never know. Uh but oh, I'm curious, actually, we could look into that if he intentionally chose the, like the radiation origin to oh. remove it from. I mean, did he did he uh, mean to use something from a marginalized population? No, I don't think he knew he was doing it. I don't oh. think I, I don't think a lot of people know they're doing it. I think it's just something that's like ingrained in us as far as society goes and what yeah. we do. I mean, it's, anyway, it's always been intentional to call it, like so many movies that don't use the word zombie. That's almost become a joke. Like, don't use that word. Right, like, yeah, The Last of Us, that was a big thing. They didn't want to use the word zombie. Yeah. And they I, said cordyceps or they said some yeah, other thing that was actually a, a real scientific thing, which, which yeah. you know, could pot, like that. Their reasoning was that the Earth's temperature got to such a point that mm -hmm. cordyceps could now infect human beings mm -hmm. and spread themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. So that it almost, they, the reason why they didn't say zombie, I think, is because of the religious. I think that now and, we would say cultural, that, yeah. yeah. Whereas when I was a kid, it was like they don't ever use the word zombie. It sounded silly. Yeah. It was like, oh, they're just doing it to make you. To like what? So you think that they've never heard that word before, or that they don't know what that movie's about? But now it's like, oh yeah, no, that's a very specific word. And and then there was World War Z with Brad Pitt, <laughs> where they went the other way. That's the, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I do want a copy of the Zombie Survival Guide that some of that was based yeah. from. Yeah, it's a it's a huge subculture, a popular culture thing. Um, yeah, I I think this has been fun. The last piece we didn't talk about is the the virus. We did talk about virus session with that. Yeah, fear of that. I mean, post COVID, that's a certainly. Oh yeah, and that and post a last worldwide of us pandemic the, or a epidemic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that fear. I mean, we it's so much of this is our relationship to death that isn't very well articulated in the modern era, mm -hmm. or, or the belief that you know uh, there's a fate worse than death. There's a like you you come back yeah. as a monster. You come back as a 
a flesh-eating, brain-craving, decomposing being yeah. cursed. Yeah, you know, so that that cursed idea is still there, just just like from the Haitian belief. But now there's there's this other aspect of it that now you are inhuman. You are not just inhuman, but you're you're spreading it too. Like there is that whole thought process behind it as well, mm-hmm. which is an interesting. Again, like you said, part of the horror genre, part of the part of the zombie genre. Yeah. Because as a consumer, every time you buy something, you're spreading it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And now, and then also just like all the, uh, my boyfriend's a zombie or like I zombie or all yeah. the, like, uh, my zombie ex-girlfriend or like z- zombies from California. I don't know. There's so much like, it's not Abraham even, Lincoln zombie slayer. That was good. But in my opinion, but it was, well, the vampire know. slayer one was good. The <laughs> yeah. zombie one is a little so low much. budget. Yeah. But I think there's this like, it's now it's a fun thing. It's fun to be as I don't know. I'm just sounding old now, yeah. but. <laughs> no, but I, I think this was great. I really enjoyed looking into it. Yeah. It was incredibly stressful trying to write these things because I, I really wanted to make sure I got it right. I'm sure I didn't. And and for any uh, mistakes I made, I apologize for. Again, if you notice anything and you want me to correct it, please feel free to write in stories at paranormaloutsiders.com. Yeah. I'd love to hear. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to correct myself. Or I'm sorry. I'd love for you to correct me, and for me to be able to to write to write the wrongs and to and and to do what I can um, to do my part. And then when so, you don't hear from anyone, you'll be like, I I did it. Oh, I, I got nailed it. it. Nailed oh yeah. 100%, 100%. No, I know I didn't nail it at all. <laughs> I liked uh, it. But I really tried. The only way I'll learn is if someone tells me what I did wrong. So. Mm-hmm. Please tell me what I did wrong. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed listening <laughs> to all my wrongness. Yeah. Thanks for making this so easy on me. Just yeah. Joking. No, Anna did great, of course, as always. Yeah. The psychological reasoning behind what somebody might perceive as a zombie. I think we see that a lot in our daily Oh my gosh, yeah. So it was good to hear, uh, obviously from an expert, from a doctor, from a PhD. We need to take care of people in vulnerable states a whole lot better than we do yeah all of those potential not just feed them a bunch of hallucinogens and have them work in sugarcane fields okay (laughs) well let's talk about social commentary most of us are just having to live off stimulants and depressants just and barely get enough sleep and then go to our dobs for 60 hours a week so who Mm -hmm. are the zombies in western culture now throw the mic down and on that note, thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a lot of fun, and we hope you had fun listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>